be jumping into connecting the dots this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1 if you have your Bibles. We're going to be kind of jumping around from thing to thing. And again, we're going to be kind of exploring this passage. It has kind of really been the passage for us as we've gone through this series. And that's John 10.10. When Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the question is, how do we live in that abundant life? How do we get to that place where we desire more than anything to be in God's presence, to be in God's word? How do we get to that place where we understand our emotions? Our emotions don't rule us, but we understand what they're there for. We meet God at the doorway of our emotions like Jesus did. How do we get to that kind of a place? How do we get to that place where we start maturing and looking at our family of origin and realizing that there are some things in our life that I do or I don't? Don't do the way that I react or act around others that has a lot to do with the family that I was raised in. How do I begin to reinterpret my family story through the light of what God is doing in my life? Or when do we get to that point where we say, I'm going to measure my growth in Jesus Christ, not by how much I know, but how well I love those around me. That my love for others is so deep, that my willingness to sacrifice, my willingness to see them grow becomes so deep. And so today, what we're going to be talking about is embracing our God-given limits. How do we embrace our God-given limits? And so I want to start today with a fable. Are you ready? It's a fable. I love fables. Hope you like fables too. But once a time there lived a man who had given a great deal of thought and effort to determine what he wanted from life. Then one day, a door opened for him to actually live his dream, but the opportunity would be available only for a short time, and he would have to embark on a long journey. He began walking and grew more and more excited as he envisioned his future dream becoming a reality. And as he hurried along, however, look at this guy, would you look at him? He looks so good, you're ready to party. However, he came to a bridge high above a dangerous and rapidly flowing river. As he started across the bridge, he noticed a stranger approaching him from the opposite direction. The man had a rope wrapped many times. It looked like it could stretch to at least 100 feet. The stranger began to unwrap the rope as he walked. Just as the two men were about to meet, the stranger said, Pardon me, sir. Would you be so kind as to hold the end of this rope for me? Without thinking, almost instinctively, the man reached out for the rope and took the rope. Thank you, said the stranger. Then added, Two hands now. Remember, hold tight. At that point, the stranger edged towards the end of the bridge and jumped off the bridge. The the strong pull from the now extended rope was so strong, it almost dragged the man over the side of the bridge into the treacherous river below. He shouted over the railing, what are you trying to do? Just hold tight, the stranger called back. This is ridiculous, thought the man. He began trying to haul the stranger up, but the task was beyond his strength. Why did you do this? He yelled in frustration over the edge. Remember, said the stranger, if you let go, I will die. But I cannot pull you up, the man cried. I am your responsibility, said the stranger. I did not ask for it, the man said. If you let go, I am lost, repeated the stranger. The man began to look around for help, but no one was within sight. He began to think about his predicament. Here he was, eagerly pursuing an opportunity to fulfill his dream, and now he was being sidetracked for who knows how long. 
Maybe I can tie the rope somewhere, he thought. He examined the bridge carefully, but there was no way to get rid of his newfound burden. Again, he yelled over the edge, what do you want? Just your help, came the answer. How can I help? I cannot pull you in and there is no place to tie the rope while I find someone else who could help you. Just keep hanging on, replied the dangling stranger. My life is in your hands. The man was stumped. If I let go all my life, I will always regret I let a stranger die. If I stay, I will never reach my dreams or destiny. Either way, this will haunt me forever. Time passed. No one came. The man became keenly aware that it was almost too late to resume his journey. If he didn't leave immediately, he wouldn't arrive in time. Finally, a new idea came to him. Listen, he explained to the man hanging below. I think I know how to save you. He could not pull the stranger up solely by his own efforts, but if the stranger would shorten the rope by wrapping it around his waist again and again, together they could do it. But the dangling stranger, stranger had no interest. You mean you won't help? He shouted to the stranger. I can't hold on much longer. If you don't, I will die, came the reply. At this moment, a revelation came to the man on the bridge, an idea that until this moment he would never have considered. Listen carefully, the man said. I mean what I am about to say. The dangling stranger looked up, hopeless and despondent. I will not accept the position of choice for your life, only for my own, the man said. From this moment on, I give you the power of choice for your own life back to you. What do you mean, the stranger asked, clearly afraid. I mean, simply, it's up to you. You decide your future. I will be the counterweight. You do the pulling and bring yourself up. I will tug some from here. The man unwound the rope from around his waist and braced himself to be a counterweight. You cannot mean what you say, the stranger shrieked. You would not be so selfish. I am your responsibility. What could be so important that you'd let me die? After a long silence, the man on the bridge said slowly, I accept your choice. He let go of the rope and continued on his journey over the bridge. The end. Is that a good time or what? We had fun. Can you give uh, Everett and Caleb a hand? They did a good job. It was... Uh, there's a, there's a blow-up air mattress back there, just so you know. <laughs> Caleb did not fall into a hole. But I felt pretty sus walking around Walmart late last night with an air mattress and 100 feet of rope. So uh, it was a good time. It's just a fable, right? We understand that. There's some flaws in it. But it kind of gets you like right in the feels. Like what, what was that man supposed to do? Did he do the right thing? What's going on in this fable right now? And at one time or another, we've all had that experience. If you've been a Christian and maybe if you've not been a Christian, maybe you're just trying to be a good person. We've all had that experience of being that man on the bridge. We don't know how it happened. We're just nonchalantly going along and somehow, somewhere or another, it feels as though that somebody else's life, somebody else's destiny is in our hands. It just, it just happens. And we didn't ask for this. We want to help people. And we understand that sometimes following Jesus requires sacrifice. So we do our best to try to pull people up, sometimes at the expense of our own families, sometimes at the expense of our own selves, and sometimes at the expense of our own spiritual health. And then many times when we felt like we were helping people and we got them up on that bridge... It's just a matter of time. Maybe just next week, they ran and jumped off another bridge. It just seems like it keeps coming and keeps coming. And for years, I don't know about you, but I felt as though I was just holding on to people's ropes. And sometimes once you have their ropes, you feel stuck. 
And how could you possibly let go and call yourself a Christian? How could you possibly do that? I mean, wouldn't Jesus pull them up? And if I don't give my entire life to hold onto this rope, am I just being selfish? And, and am I supposed to put my dreams, my hopes, my purpose, am I supposed to put all that on hold? And does it even matter if I'm a servant of Jesus Christ? And by the way, where is everybody else? I feel like I'm the only one up here trying to make a difference and I don't know where everybody is. And so you become critical of other people, maybe even critical of other Christians. And sometimes for some of us, it feels as though routinely we're holding on to 15 ropes at the same time. We don't know what to do with these ropes. They've just been laid in our hands. And when is it appropriate for us to just kind of stop? How do I know if meeting this need for somebody is a good kind of hard or if it's a destructive kind of hard? How do I know when I'm helping somebody if I'm actually hurting them? Because I think we've all been to the place where we know that sometimes the most loving thing that we can do is let somebody hit rock bottom. But how do I know the difference between the two? How do I know when I'm hurting my family and hurting others in a destructive way, or if I'm perpetuating immaturity in others in ways that they should be helping themselves, I'm saying, don't, don't worry about it, I got this for you. And when it comes to understanding these questions, what that requires is being able to connect the dots to some maturity and understanding our God-given limits, which again is what we're talking about today. What is our God-given limits? And when we exceed those limits, we severely compromise our ability to love God, to love others, and love ourselves over the long haul when we exceed those limits that God has given us. And when it comes to these limits, if you want certain results in your life, you're going to have to lean into those God-given limits. It's just a reality. You're not going to reach those results until you know that you have some limits. And what we're talking about today is knowing the difference between what you can do and what you shouldn't do. There is a difference between what you can do and what you shouldn't do. And what we're talking about is understanding that difference. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that we should do something. And we often get that confused and we end up hurting ourselves. We end up hurting our families and the people around us. Uh, somebody asked me this week when we were working out, he will become, be nameless, but his name is Joel. But anyways, um, we were working out and he said, what, what, is the, uh, what is the sermon this week about? And I said, well, it's about embracing our God-given limits. And he goes, I don't like that. It doesn't sound good. I, I don't know. It doesn't feel right that, that God gives us limits. I mean, don't we serve a limit, limitless God? Isn't with God all things are possible? And sometimes it could feel that way when we read stories on the surface level and we read ourselves into them or we're just as immature as Joel is. I'm just kidding. Calm down. He's, he's the best guy around. And, but anyways, we read these stories like Elijah. Elijah had prayed that the rain would stop so that God could get people's attention once again. And because he was the one who prayed publicly that the rain would stop, God hides him so people won't kill him or threaten to kill him so he'll turn the rain back on. He hides him in this Kareth ravine. When he's in this ravine, there's a, a brook that runs through it so he has all the water he wants. Birds bring him meat to eat. I don't know, maybe God's not a vegetarian, but anyways, he brings him meat to eat. And Elijah's able to survive there. And then God drives up the brook. The birds stop bringing meat. And God tells Elijah it's time to leave. Elijah leaves without any food 
or water. And God tells him there's this widow and she's going to provide for you a meal. And it says in 1 Kings 17, as he comes across this widow, he says, hey, could you make me something to eat, please? And can I have some water, please? And she says this, and she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. In other words, I'm about to eat my last meal. Elijah tells her that's not true. You're going to go and you're going to make me something. I would like a biscuit, please. You're going to make me a Bojangles biscuit, sausage, egg, and cheese. Bring that to me. And it might feel like it's your last meal and there's not going to be anything left for your son. But I'm telling you, if you'll do that, the flour and the oil won't run out. And sure enough, it says in 1 Kings 17, verse 15, and she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he had spoke by Elijah. I mean, praise God from whom all biscuits flow. I mean, there doesn't seem like there's any limits. It is limitless. And then we get to the story of Gideon and Judges. And God is appointing these different judges through this weird cycle of disobedience and obedience and God overcoming things. And he does that through these judges. And he comes to Gideon and goes, you're going to be the next judge through an angel. And Gideon's response to that angel is in Judges 6.15. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Long story short, Gideon is able to beat an army of 135,000 men with just an army of 300 men. And when you read those stories, you're like, what limits? There is no limits. But I hope that you can see in those stories that Elijah and Gideon did absolutely nothing. They did nothing. In fact, God put limits on them. In the story of Elijah, God sent Elijah out without food. It was a limit God gave him. In the story of Gideon, Gideon had a larger army that God whittled down to 300 people. He gave him limits. He gave him limits. And when we would live inside those limits, we recognize that God is God and we are not. And if we are living as if we're limitless, we're living as if we are God. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God creates this beautiful garden that's packed full of blessing. And even in that blessing, this amazing garden, God gives limits right away. It says this in in Genesis 2, verse 16, it says, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat eat of it, you shall surely die. There is a limit. And then there's that famous temptation to get outside of those limits. In Genesis 3, verse 4, it says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We're always tempted to go outside of our limits. And it happens to us, you know, it's, it's only a season. I can work 80 hours a week just for a season. Besides, we need the money. It's only going to be the night shift for two or three months. That's all. We do it as students. We say, we say you know, I, I can be on track team. I can be on the swim team. I can be on the volleyball team. I can be on the softball team. I can be in the yearbook club. I can do all those things and take AP classes and still get A's. And we end up exceeding our God-given limits. This is about the maturity to know when you've reached a God-given limit. In every season of our life, whether we're a student, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're in that career path of our life, at every season, a new set of limits 
gets introduced to us. Now, what this is about is the fact that overwhelming schedules lead to underwhelming spiritual lives. And some of us right now, we're defining our spiritual life. It is underwhelming. And one of the reasons why that's happening is because we are overwhelmed in our schedules. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 this morning. Again, if you've got your Bibles and want to turn there, Mark's gospel is very interesting. He gets right into it. He goes like very fast through it. You don't even see the, the birth story of Jesus in there. He's like, this is who Jesus is. He's awesome and amazing. Uh, he, he was baptized. He was tempted. And, and then he started preaching. And he starts preaching in Mark's gospel. He preaches with this kind of authority that men are saying, man, even angels and demons must be listening to this man because he's speaking with that kind of authority. Nobody speaks with this authority. And then sure enough, in Mark chapter 1, verse 29, as his fame begins to spread, as people begin talking about Jesus, it says this, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began making biscuits for them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many, it says many, doesn't say all, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many, not all, many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now there's already, we're getting into some of the tension of limits here. Again, he hasn't healed all, he's healed many. And he's telling his demons who could be like, oh, we know exactly who you are. You were there at the beginning of all creation. Jesus doesn't want people to know that he's the Messiah yet. He's still got a lot of work to do. He doesn't want that kind of fame and attention. So he tells them to zip it. In verse 35, and it says, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Remember what we talked about the first week. Jesus is obviously feeling exhausted in this moment. He's feeling overwhelmed. There's so many needs, there's so many things. He could be there the next three years of his life doing this stuff. Instead of just blowing up at people, he gets alone in a desolate place and he meets God at those emotions. God comes to him at that gateway, reaffirms Jesus's purpose in his life. Jesus trusts God. It says this in verse 36, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Not like, you know, there's some people, everyone, the whole town is wondering where you are. And there's a glimpse of the world that we live in. Some of us, we've connected our grandmother's computer to her printer. Now the whole town is at our door saying, my printer doesn't work, can you fix it? Somebody figures out that there's something that you can do and now the whole town is at your door. Everyone wants something from you. And the question is, just because we can, should we? And when we live outside of our limits, those things just compound over time and they begin to swell. You know, for me, sometimes a sermon is never done. I can keep adding to it. I could add points. I could change the flow. I can get, we can overcook it. And then I've got counseling and I've got meetings and I've got premarital things going on. And I sit on the board of this nonprofit and that nonprofit. And then there's a missions meeting. And then I got a, this announcement. And then this person wants to meet with me. And that organization wants to come from the outside. And then there's staff stuff. You know, I got to organize the staff this way. And there's this stuff. And there's the end of year stuff. And by the way, you're giving, you know, stuff statements was sent out this week. You're welcome. 
right? And so we go out and we do all these things and maybe that's true for you too. It just seems like nothing is ever done. There's always another meeting that you can have. There's always another project that you can start. There's a side hustle. There's always another house that you can sell. Always another phone call to make. But at some point, you have to get to the place where you stop and God begins. When we go outside those limits, we never give God a chance to begin in our life. And we just keep working and working and working outside those limits. So what is Jesus going to do? Is he going to heal all these people? It says in verse 38, and he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Jesus is saying, look, again, I could spend the next three years of my life here doing just this, but that's not why I'm here. That's not why I came. And he steps out of that time of being with God before doing for God. And he has got clarity about who he is and why he's here. So much so that Jesus says this in John 17, 4, Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And one day we'll be able to say those words too. But it's only going to come when we decide that we're going to live inside of our limits and not go outside of our limits. The interesting thing about limits is when you are in limits, it's not claustrophobic. It is actually freeing. You feel set free when you, and liberated when you live inside of those limits. There's freedom in saying that God is God and I am not. If we don't set our limits, other people are going to set our limits for us. And we're going to begin to feel exhausted. We're going to begin to feel burnt out. An overwhelming schedule, again, is a sign of an underwhelming spiritual life. And we got to get this all in there. So what do we do? Number one, if you're taking notes, we need to clarify what's important. We need to say to ourselves, in this season of life, in light of my limits, in light of God's calling on my life, in the next six months, in the next year, you need to prioritize what is the most important thing that I could be doing. Now, if I'm going to be honest with you guys, some of you, it needs to be your marriage. It needs to be your spouse. That needs to be number one before anything else. For me, I'm not a minister with a ministry. We are a family on mission. That is what we have decided. See, if I, if I don't get that right, I can find myself visiting a different life group every night, a different discipleship group every night. I can be signing up and joining the, the, the chamber. I can be joining the rotary. I can join the masons or whatever spooky thing that is. I can be sitting on the board of every nonprofit in town. I can be showing up at every school event. I can be coaching every soccer team, even teams that my kids don't play on. And the next Next thing you know, I'm saying yes to a bunch of good things, like going to the gym, like going for a run, like doing night school, like continuing my education, and then I forget about the most important thing in my life, which is my spouse. I have to say no to some good things so I can say yes to the greatest things. Because every time I say yes to something that's good and not great, I'm saying no to spending time with Malika. I'm saying no to investing time in her. I'm saying no to taking her to dinner and to a movie. I'm saying no to going for a walk with her. I'm saying no to helping with the homework. I'm saying no to helping with the dishes. I'm saying no to investing in Malika. And I miss all of that when I say yes to anything else because a God-given limit that I have and that you have is that we are not omnipresent. We cannot be in one place, more than one place at a time. We can only be in one place at a time. What are you gifted? What are you called? What are you empowered to do? And how can you lean into that and just do that the best? My prayer is that you can answer that question with clarity and say, this is why I've come. This is why I'm here and that you can lean into that. And here's a challenge I want for you this week. I want you to make a time budget. And some of you are like, Ben, that's called a calendar. 
Listen, I'm not good with a calendar. But so the thing is, with the time budget, when we budget money, we don't just budget our spending. We budget how much we're going to save. We budget how much we're going to invest. And a lot of times for us, I don't know if it's true for you, but it's true for me. The only thing that gets on my calendar are the things that I have to do. If I have to do it, it ends up on the calendar. Not those things that I need to do. So put on your calendar this week. Maybe you're going to put on their family time this evening, or I'm going to go on a date with my spouse this evening, or I'm going to take a hot bath with a new bath bomb that I bought at Trail Mix, you know, and I'm going to put that on there. And that's what I'm going to do. But begin calendaring those things that you need to do and maybe even want to do. Organize your life around those things that matter to you, or you're going to begin letting other people say those yeses for you. And number two, if you're taking notes, this is, this is a powerful one, say no. Let's all practice it together. Uh, on the count of three, you all say no. Ready? One, two, three. No, no I need you to do it. Listen, Ron, I'm just kidding. That was fun. You guys could have said no to that and just not said no. But you guys do whatever I say because you've got problems. You need to set some limits. <laughs> Anyways, so we need to say no. Honestly, it's a powerful thing. It's taken me, uh, it's been a 15-year journey for me once I got in ministry to learn how to say no as a pastor. It's really hard to do. Lisa Turkhurst, who's the author of The Best Yes, says, do not confuse the command to love with the disease to please. And some of us were stuck there because there's always needs. At what point is this, is this no longer love, but it's dependence? At what point is this no longer love? But again, I'm perpetuating immaturity in somebody else's life by not allowing them to take res responsibility for the choices that they are making. This is a question of spiritual maturity. Am I being with God before doing for God? Love sometimes means that, that we make a sacrifice, but we've got to know when helping is actually hurting people. And let me just tell you, and I understand this, I know that sometimes as a church we can do this too. We can say to you on Sundays, I want you to sit in a service and I want you to serve at a service. I want you to join a life group. I want you to join a discipleship group. I want you to come to that Bible study. I want you to go on that missions trip. And I want you to bring this family a meal. And I want you to spread this mulch over there. And before you know it, you are so busy and it's the church that is burning you out. I want to give you permission to say no. Because your no might actually open the door for somebody else to do work in the kingdom. That they can't do because you're busy doing it all. So you can say no, take that from me, it's okay, you have my permission. You can do that. This is, this, is, this is maybe something you could try saying. For me, sometimes people come up to me, and I actually hear it all the time, but they go, I know you're busy, but could you do this and that and the other? Try, try a response like this. Say, it's not that I'm busy, it's just that I have limits. It's not that I'm busy, it's just that I have some limits, and I gotta live within those limits. And number three, if you're taking notes, remember the Sabbath is holy. For some of us, we forgot that the Sabbath is actually a holy thing. In Exodus, when God gives them the Ten Commandments, it says in Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. A Sabbath is a 24-hour period of rest. And sadly, some of you won't be able to tell me the last time that you got a 24-hour period of rest. Some of us don't get a full 24 hours. You know what happens when, when it's my fault? When, when I don't take a Sabbath is because I crossed some lines during the week. I said yes to some things that I probably should have said no to. And the next thing I know, I'm spending my Sabbath writing a sermon, the sermon that I should have been doing during the week. But instead, I took some other things on during the week that I should have probably have said no to. And the Sabbath is about rest. It's a spiritual declaration to the Lord 
that God, I trust you with what needs to be done. The Sabbath is a declaration of dependence. That's what we're doing on the Sabbath. We're saying, God, I could live outside my limits. I can live as though that I'm limitless, but I'm gonna trust that you can do more than me. And the most spiritual thing that some of us can do this week is take a Sabbath, if I'm being honest, is to take a break. And number four, if you're taking notes, we need to give the results to God. Malika and I, when uh, we first got into ministry, um, I was the campus pastor for a city in Hollywood. It was a city in Florida called Hollywood. It was Hollywood, Florida. It was a crazy five, seven years of our life down there. And then when we ended up having to shut that campus down for various reasons, it's a story for another day, I became ex- basically executive pastor of, of a larger church. And when you're the executive pastor, you only basically focus on the staff. And that was something I didn't feel like I was born to do. Man, I wanted to pastor people. I want to shepherd people. I want to do hard things. I don't want to just focus on the staff. And so after doing that for two years, Malika and I decided that we were going to go plant a church in North Miami. And so we get to North Miami and it's, it's little Haiti. There's a lot going on. You know, I had been to Haiti many, many times and we had prayed about whether or not we were supposed to be missionaries in Haiti. We thought little Haiti was the next best thing. And so we're in North Miami. We're doing hard things. We're in the grid of it. We had a, um, a parsonage, a, a house that we were given to live in that was about three feet away from the church. And it was, it was this house that we're doing life in. Our kids, our Maley was born in that parsonage at 12905 Northeast 8th Avenue. And so that's where we're doing life. And I gotta tell you, I worked 80 hours a week. I thought having a parsonage that close to the church would mean that I would be home more. In fact, it meant that I was at church more. And I'll never forget that we're doing a birthday party for Noah. It's his birthday. We're all singing happy birthday. There's a knock at the door and, it, and this would happen all the time. And I answer the door and it's somebody asking for money. Instead of telling him, hey, I'm sorry, can you make an appointment? I said, yes, I can do that for you. And I left my own son's birthday party to go and talk to this guy about his financial needs. And it just would happen all the time. Then crazy things started happening. We started waking up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. with people screaming in our parking lot. I had to bust up some sus things going on on our church property early in the morning. Then there were started to be drive-by shootings. Next thing I know, one morning somebody gets shot. I hear the gunshots as if they were in our house. I walk outside the house and there is a man dead on the ground. And so we start looking around. We have this parsonage with plenty of room for our children. We're all sleeping in one bedroom because they're so scared. And so I start thinking and looking and my son is going to bed at night. No one's going to bed at night going, I wish my dad wasn't a pastor. He's never here. I was joining everything. I was in the Chamber of Commerce of North Miami. I was a chaplain for the police force. I was a chaplain at the high school across the street. If there was anything anybody needed me to do, it was an instant yes, because I was trying to build a church. I was trying to be that poster boy, good pastor. But my family was dying and I was about to lose them. And it became very clear to me that I have crossed some limits. The environment that I was in celebrated people who crossed limits. So I had to quit my job. I was about to throw in the towel and say, I'm not supposed to be a pastor. I called a friend of mine in Franklin, North Carolina in the mountains, which is where you vacation when you're from North Miami. And I said, hey, uh, I gotta rehabilitate my family. We gotta get back together. I've crossed the limits. I started pretending that I was God and we gotta get to a place where we're okay again and then maybe we'll plant a church and do things a little bit different this time. So I came up here, long story short, 
you know, my family fell in love with this place. But there was part of me that thought that Satan won. There was part of me that was like all Satan had to do was have somebody shoot somebody outside my house and I ran away from the mission field. All Satan had to do was make me busy and then I gave up on all those people. And then I realized I have a Messiah complex. I got to the place where I believed if I wasn't there, if I wasn't involved in all the things people asked me to be involved in, then Jesus wasn't there. And then I realized that God is God and I am not. And if I would just embrace those limits, listen, Jesus is in Honduras right now. When we take a missions trip to Honduras in the summer, we're not bringing Jesus to Honduras. We're joining Jesus on the mission that he's already on. And if, if, if God, because I've exceeded my limits and brought me to this place, which by the way, he's revealed to me that small towns are the mission field of the United States. As long as I within, live within my limits, I plan to be a pastor until the day that I die, unless God calls me to something else and I could die tomorrow. He could be like, all right, how about that? But I'm gonna live within my limits. And I want the same for you. I don't want you to lose your family. I don't want you to lose your relationships. I don't want you to lose your life because you don't understand limits. And it's gonna take a group of people who take this seriously and decide that they're gonna have an uncommon clarity about what they're called to do. They decide that they're gonna say no to some things and they decide that they're gonna trust God, that they're gonna have a Sabbath and give the results to God. And ultimately what will happen at the end of our life is we'll be able to say what Jesus said. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And that's what I want for all of us. You've got to spend that time with Jesus Christ and have that uncommon clarity that this is what I was called to do and I'm not going to go outside those limits. It might not be true for every season of life, but you need to define what this season of life's limits are for you. There are things that maybe a good pastor would be doing in this town, groups that maybe a good pastor would be involved in, but I'm trying to raise a family well. I want to raise children that don't grow up hating the church or pastors. I'm trying to be a pastor that unlike a lot of pastors I know, don't end up getting divorced when their kids leave the house. I wanna be a pastor for the long haul. And I wanna serve a group of people who don't leave church with that phrase that's become all too common, which is church hurt. The church didn't give a rip about me, only cared what I do. You are allowed to say no at Discover Church. And it's all for the glory of God. My hope and my prayer is that you realize that you serve a savior who loves you. He's not just up there wanting a, you to accomplish a list of tasks, but we have a savior who's up there who wants the best for you. He gives us limits because he loves us. And when we live in those limits, it is absolutely freeing and it leads to blessing in every area of our life. He loves you so much that he died for you because we couldn't live the life that is required for the Christian life. Man, we will pursue Jesus, but ultimately what happens is Jesus dies in our place. I wanna become more like him because I wanna live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're here today not knowing that you have a savior that has a plan and a purpose for your life, then today my prayer is that like Braden, that you would take a step and say, I wanna give my life to that kind of a savior. I wanna give my life to that kind of king. Buddha, when he died, famously said, strive without ceasing. Jesus, when he died, he said, it is finished. I wanna serve that kind of God 
who does it all for me. And tomorrow when I fail and I exceed those limits, I don't run from God in shame. I run to him in love because he's that kind of father. Let's pray together. Father, I pray right now that you might begin waking us up in this room. That some of us in this space will begin realizing that the limits that we're exceeding are threatening to take everything away from us. God, I pray that we can come to that place of trust in you, that we can make a declaration of dependence, that you are God and we are not, that we'll finally begin to prioritize our lives and be able to say, God, you are God and I am not. God, I pray that you would make us a courageous people who are courageous to say no to some things so that we can say yes to some great things. God, I pray that you would make us a kind of people that realize that we serve a limitless God. God, we can trust you with all things. I can be content in this moment no matter what I have because with God, all things are possible. God, I pray for that person in this room right now who for the very first time is hearing the voice of their Savior saying to them, I love you and I've got better plans for you. God, I pray that in the sincerity of their hearts, they can say, Father, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that what you did on that cross for me thousands of years ago was for me, that it counted for me, that you died, were buried, and you rose from the grave, meaning you conquered the sin in my life. You conquered death in my life. You conquered all the things that I'm afraid of that make me exceed my limits. And I wanna trust you, not with just those things, but with my life. God, we're so grateful for Jesus Christ. So grateful for the love that he has for us. We're so grateful for the time that you entrust to us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God some glory for new life in this room? My prayer is that this has been healing for you. Our conversation doesn't end today. We have two more weeks. We'll be talking about some of these things. Next week, we're gonna be talking about clarifying our expectations. We're gonna be going into February, just as a reminder, Valentine's Day is in February. There you go, you've got it. So for the first two weeks of February, we're gonna be kind of moving this conversation into our relationships. Doesn't matter if you're a student, doesn't matter if you're single, doesn't matter if you're married, this is for all of us. We're gonna be continuing this journey together. But if you've made a decision this morning to give your life to Jesus Christ, we would love to know about it. You can let somebody know at the Connect Center. You can let me know as I'm bouncing around. You can put it on a connection card. We wanna go on this journey with you and helping us all to grow and become more like who Jesus is. So we're so grateful for that. With that being said, we're gonna have an opportunity to respond to all that Jesus has done among us this morning through worship. And after worship, there's gonna be some people up front who would love more than anything to have the opportunity to pray with you this morning. And if you need prayer for whatever reason, they're here for you and they would love that opportunity. So let's stand together and let's worship.